Well, hello and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Welcome back uh, if you're a regular devotee and uh, welcome if you are a new friend of ours. We tend to focus on somewhat narrow aspects of jazz recorded history and today is no different. We're going to be featuring the work of someone who, uh, whose name you may not know, even if you're a pretty serious jazz fan. He was born Miko Stefanovic in uh, Berlin in 1908 and uh, Early in his life, when he was just an infant, I think he moved to Provo, Utah, and he came to be known as Lyle Murphy uh, after that, and he's even better known, such as he is known, as Spud Murphy. Spud was his nickname, and he was not uh, prominent as an instrumentalist, although he played many instruments, and he led a band for a while, and uh, pretty much led it on clarinet, uh, but he was known uh, more than that as an arranger. Uh, he uh, really kind of codified a lot of the swing-era elements in his arrangements. He was one of the most prolific arrangers in uh, the 1930s and into the 40s. He arranged for various dance bands. He arranged for Columbia Pictures out on the West Coast, and uh, he became an educator later on. He developed his own uh, system of composition called the Equal Interval System, which was a semi-classical system that was actually more in line with uh, theater composing and movie composing, which is uh, how he made his uh, bread and butter for most of the second half of his life, I suppose. But early on, he started playing in dance bands. As I said, he was born in 1908. Uh, he was uh, active in uh, the Midwest uh, in uh, territory bands, and again, as I said, primarily as an arranger. The first arrangement that we're aware that he did may not have been a uh, an original arrangement. He may have done what was called doctoring a stock, a stock arrangement, which could have been bought for relatively little money from a publisher that would have had parts for all the different instruments in the band. It could have been a dance band or a military band, a theater band, whatever. Um, but uh, this was how publishers uh, publicized their new songs. They would send out these arrangements, much as they would with sheet music to put on the on the piano board so piano players could read them at home. These were uh, arrangements that were published so community bands and, and local bands and even professional bands in different parts of the country could uh, have an arrangement such as one that, uh, for example, a New York band might be playing. Early on in the 1920s, these stocks were pretty impressive things, many of them anyway. They were very musical, and very often uh, recordings that we've heard or we hear uh, having been made in the 20s were based on these stock arrangements. Once we get into the swing era from the mid-30s on, it kind of reversed, and the hit recordings of a band such as Glenn Miller or Count Basie, Benny Goodman, uh, would have been issued as a stock arrangement, and very often they were simplified versions of the uh, recordings done by the bands, and so they got kind of a bad reputation that way. So we're going to listen to a cross-section of Bud Murphy's stock arrangements and original arrangements for different bands. As I said, he was very well-known in the industry, and he apparently never lacked for work in the 1930s. So the first uh, arrangement we have here is a tune called I Got Worry, which is recorded by Jimmy Joy's Orchestra. Occasionally it was known as uh, Jimmy Joy's St. Anthony Hotel Orchestra or various permutations of that. This was a uh, recording that was made in uh, 1928, May 21st, in Chicago for the Brunswick label and featured uh, a couple of musicians who became better known later on. For example, Matty Matlock played clarinet and alto sax on there. Terry Shand was on piano. And uh, that's about it in terms of uh, well-known national musicians from a later period. As far as I know, Spud Murphy was not playing in this band, but he did sell or provide this arrangement to Jimmy Joy, and uh, they recorded it. Jimmy Joy is probably the clarinet soloist on here. So that'll be the first number we hear, I Got Worry. After that, we're going to jump over to the Tommy Dorsey band of a slightly later period. The two recordings we're going to listen to by Dorsey were from the fall of 1935, right after he broke up with his uh, brother Jimmy and uh, liquidated the Dorsey Brothers Orchestra. They both went off on their own. Tommy Dorsey, for his part, uh, went off and either stole or bought, depending on the source, the band that was led by Joe Hames. And we will be hearing a Joe Hames uh, recording, I believe, uh, coming up in a few minutes. But uh, this is essentially the same band taken over by Tommy Dorsey. Uh, we're going to hear the Weary Blues, the 
uh, jazz classic from the 1920s, scored by Spud Murphy. These are done for Victor, by the way. And then we're going to hear from a couple months later, uh, I've Got a Note, which uh, will feature a vocal by Cliff Weston, who also played piano in the band. That was from October of 1935. So the solos will be by Sterling Bowes on trumpet, uh, of course, Tommy Dorsey on trombone, Sid Stoneburn on clarinet, uh, Johnny Van Epps on tenor sax, and in the rhythm section we have Paul Mitchell on piano, Mac Cheeks on guitar, Gene Traxler on bass, and uh, Sam Rosen on drums. And so uh, this is a uh, sort of the embryonic version of the Tommy Dorsey big band from the period, playing these Spud Murphy arrangements, and I believe these were done specifically for the Dorsey band. After that, we're going to go to Benny Goodman's band, and we're going to hear some non-studio recordings from Benny Goodman. We're going to hear three tunes that uh, Murphy did for him, and apparently Murphy was a staff arranger for Benny Goodman during his uh, period in the 19, uh, about 1935-36 when he was doing the Let's Dance programs, and uh, even, I think, when he was out at the Congress Hotel. We're going to hear two uh, recordings from the Congress Hotel in Chicago from the end of 1935. Apparently, uh, Spud Murphy was so busy, he spent Monday through Thursday, if we uh, believe the, uh, the obituary in the Los Angeles Times about him, uh, he spent Monday through Thursday writing one arrangement a day for Benny Goodman. On Friday, he wrote two arrangements for Glenn Gray's Casaloma Band, and on Saturday, he wrote three or four stock arrangements, uh, which he would sell to publishers. He was probably contracted to do them in advance. And on Sunday, we are told he rested. So that's a, that's a busy arranger right there. So we're going to hear three of those Benny Goodman arrangements. We're going to hear the Harold Arlen tune, Get Happy, followed by Ballad in Blue and ending up with the Limehouse Blues. Ballad in Blue comes from that interesting day, June 6th of 1935, when the Benny Goodman Orchestra went into the Thesaurus uh, Transcription Studios to make a, a series of 52 recordings uh, in one day, in, in a series of uh, a number of hours. They were basically one take. Uh, this was a band that played together regularly, so they didn't need more than one take. It was as if they were live recordings without an audience. And these were issued on Thesaurus Transcriptions for sale to radio stations and so forth. They were not commercially available. So that will be Ballad in Blue. And flanking Ballad in Blue, Get Happy and Limehouse Blues, both come from December 23rd of 1935, a broadcast from the Congress Hotel in Chicago. They had, uh, The Benny Goodman Band had a long residency out there in the fall of 1935. So those are our tunes right now. We are going to hear from Jimmy Joy, I Got Worry, then Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra, I've Got a Note and Weary Blues, then Benny Goodman and his orchestra, Get Happy, Ballad in Blue, and the Limehouse Blues. <laughs> Thank you. 
And it isn't necessary to say, get happy.
And if your memory goes back far enough, you'll recognize this tune. The Limehouse Blues has still got a lot of dance in it. That gives you a little bit of an idea of how adaptable and uh, contemporary Spud Murphy was in his swing era arranging. We started out with that early uh, effort of his from 1928, I Got Worry, done for Jimmy Joy and his orchestra. Probably Jimmy Joy on clarinet on that one. And uh, good 20s feel, but some interesting effects in the uh, arrangement as well. He was, Stubbard Bariffi, was noted for um, developing some interesting swing era conventions beyond just standard old riffs and back and forth patterns. Uh, he uh, had some interesting ideas, and we're going to hear some things that he did for his own orchestra in the next set. So after that uh, uh, Jimmy Joy tune, we went on to the two Tommy Dorsey recordings from the fall of 1935. We heard uh, I've Got a Note and the Weary Blues, and I've Got a Note was uh, done uh, a vocal by Cliff Weston, very forgettable tune there, but some excellent playing, and we heard, uh, as I said, Sterling Bowes on trumpet along with Sid Stoneburn on clarinet and Johnny Van Epps on tenor sax, and Van Epps in particular was featured on the next tune, the Weary Blues. In fact, he sounded very much like a contemporary version of Bud Freeman. Uh, Van Epps came from the Van Epps family, George Van Epps and uh, some of the, the, the banjo and guitar players from that generation, uh, but Johnny was a very good saxophone player, as we heard there. We also heard, of course, Tommy Dorsey on trombone, playing those Spud Murphy arrangements. Then we went on to our three Benny Goodman tunes. First of all, we had Get Happy, the Harold Arlen uh, composition. This was done in December, December 23rd of 1935 from the Congress Hotel in Chicago. And as I mentioned, the Goodman Band had a long residency there from the late uh, fall until uh, the spring of 1936. They were on their way back from their uh, triumphant trip to the West Coast. It didn't start out triumphantly, but it ended up that way, and that was considered the dawn of the swing era. And of course, uh, Goodman was recording for Bluebird from the Victor label, and he recorded uh, this same arrangement, but I decided the live version was a little better. That's really pretty much a feature for Goodman all the way through. The band sounds great, but uh, um, Goodman is the main soloist, as he is on the next tune, Ballad in Blue, from that Rhythm Makers session of June 6th of 1935. Uh, and then we finished up with Limehouse Blues, and that gave some, some space to Jess Stacy on piano, and I believe it was Art Rollini on tenor sax. He was pretty far off mic, but uh, you can hear some of his ideas coming through as well. 
No real trumpet solos here. Uh, this was sort of an interregnum in the band. Uh, Bunny Berrigan had left uh, at the end of the summer, and uh, Harry James and Ziggy Ellman didn't come in until a bit later. So Nate Kazabier was the trumpet soloist at the time. He was a very effective soloist, but he wasn't flashy, and he wasn't featured all that much. And uh, we did hear a, a, just a very brief couple of bar trombone solo, which was probably by Joe Harris. So all of those men featured on these Spud Murphy arrangements. He was uh, especially good at these swing arrangements, killer dillers, flag wavers, what have you. And uh, he did quite a few for and quite a number of bands. We're going to hear two tunes now from uh, bands that uh, were not exactly in the mainstream, but they were good, solid swing era bands. The first one is a group that was led by Joe Hames, and I mentioned that this was a uh, group that Tommy Dorsey took over, and we heard pretty much the same group from those two Tommy Dorsey recordings in November, uh, or in the fall of 1935. This particular tune is from the fall, or August anyway, of 1934, and hearing roughly the same band, although Pee Wee Irwin will be the trumpet soloist. Um, we have Ward Silloway on trombone, Toots Mondello plays uh, alto sax, he leads the section, Paul Ricci is the clarinet soloist, it says Bud Freeman is the tenor sax soloist on here, and indeed he was with the band for a while, and then a similar rhythm section to the one that we heard uh, on the Dorsey recording, Paul Mitchell on piano, Gene Traxler on bass, in this case Charlie Bush on drums, but these were uh, recordings done on this date that were actually backing uh, Joe Venuti, the great violinist, and he is here as well, uh, along with his accompanist Frank Victor on guitar. And the tune we're going to hear is a Spud Murphy original called Goblin Market. And he was associated very closely with the Joe Hames band at the time. He and Hames were, I guess, running buddies. And a um, number of uh, Murphy tunes showed up in the, in the Hames uh, recording uh, sequence during this period. So that will be the first one. After that, we're going to hear a uh, recording done by uh, someone who was known as a vocalist, kind of a high-pitched vocalist of the 1920s, a fellow named Seeger Ellis, who recorded with Louis Armstrong, among others. And um, this band was called Seeger Ellis and His Choirs of Brass, uh, which is a, an interesting group uh, by itself. But we're also going to hear a clarinet solo by a fellow who was listed as Pancho Villa on the recording label to cover up his identity, because I guess he was under contract to another band. It was, in fact, Irving Fazola, or his real name was Irving Prostopnik, uh, from New Orleans. And at the time, which was 1937, March 11th of 1937, I think he was with the Bob Crosby Band, but he crops up on a lot of different recordings by a lot of different bands. Fabulous clarinet player, and he's well featured on this tune, which is called The Shivery Stomp. Uh, and this is a uh, an interesting group uh, led by Seagarellis. The trumpet soloist is, again, Nate Kazabier, who had uh, stayed on the West Coast uh, after he left uh, Goodman's Band in Chicago. And this recording was made in Los Angeles, March 11th of 1937, for DECA. Uh, other notable fellows in the band, we have a fellow named Benny Strickler on trumpet. If you're a Lou Waters fan, you know Benny Strickler ended up playing trumpet with Lou Waters during the war years. King Jackson is on trombone. Uh, Stanley Reitzman is on piano. Jim Lynch on bass, and George Ziegler on drums, and, of course, Spud Murphy arranging. This band was uh, different in that it was entirely brass except for the clarinet player. So we have three or four trumpet players, three or four trombones, and a rhythm section, and Pancho Villa on clarinet. So that'll be the Shivery Stomp. After that, we are going to uh, move over to some recordings that were made by Spud Murphy uh, in his band, in fact. So he had a group, briefly anyway, that was uh, a touring band, a dance band, and uh, for these recordings, we're going to hear uh, several recordings made for DECA in 1938 and one made for Victor, uh, the Bluebird label, in December of 1939. So the Personnel on this band, we have, again, Nate Kazabier. They must have been friends at the time, uh, and these recordings were made in Los Angeles. We have Joe Meyer and Oliver Suderman on trumpets. On trombone, Al Sherman and Joe Harris. Of course, he was from the Goodman Band as well. Bill DePew plays alto sax and clarinet. He was a Goodman alum as well. Earl Boyle on alto sax. Dick Pettit and Bill Covey on tenor saxes. Chuck Edwards on piano. Al Costi on guitar. Woody Bushell on bass. And Mark Mac Halliday on drums. And Spud Murphy plays alto and and clarinet in addition to arranging, and he may well be the clarinet soloist on here. We're not sure about that. So we're going to hear, uh, let's see, we're going to hear three tunes from that April 1938 date. We're going to hear Quaker City Jazz, 
Cherokee, which was not uh, a jazz vehicle at the time. It's a straight uh, dance tune, much in the style of the Ray Noble Band. And we're going to hear Transcontinental. So those will be our five tunes for this set. Goblin Market, Shivery Stomp, Quaker City Jazz, Cherokee, and Transcontinental.
So that was Spud Murphy and his orchestra from Los Angeles, 1938. We uh, ended up with three tunes by that group. Quaker City Jazz, which of course was better known in his version by the Jan Savid Band. Cherokee, which was a Ray Noble tune recorded by him, also Count Basie at the time, and Transcontinental. And all of these feature Spud Murphy arrangements. Some very interesting uh, uh, arranging touches on all of these, and and very different styles as well. I have to wonder if these recording sessions, he did one in April of 38, February of 39, and December of 39, very widely spaced. I wonder if they were more like demo sessions for his stock arrangements or something like that. I'm not sure about that. Anyway, um... Those first three tunes, we heard Nate Xavier on trumpet. We heard Joe Harris on trombone. Uh, I believe it was Bill Covey on tenor sax and Chuck Edwards on piano. And the clarinet uh, playing, especially on that last one, very nice clarinet playing, I believe was by the leader, Spud Murphy. Uh, I could be talked out of that, but that's my, my best guess at the moment. So we started out with two tunes from a little bit earlier. We started out with uh, Goblin Market, done by, actually it was given credit as the Giovanuti Orchestra, featuring the Joe Hames Orchestra, or Giovanuti featuring the Joe Hames Orchestra, something like that. We heard a little bit of Pee Wee Irwin around the corners there on trumpet. Uh, We did hear a tenor sax. I don't believe it was Bud Freeman. I think it was Paul Rickey in this case. Uh, And then some very fine playing by the rest of the band, and especially, of course, by Giovanuti. Very interesting tune, Goblin Market that was composed by Spud Murphy. Then on to Shivery Stomp, the Seeger Ellis uh, Choirs of Brass Band, all brass and rhythm except for Irving Fazola on clarinet, uh, going by the uh, nom de disque uh, or nom de plume as uh, Pancho Villa. And uh, that was the uh, Spud Murphy arrangement of the Shivery Stomp, a very uh, forward-looking swing arrangement. He always included some interesting things, even in in fairly mundane arrangements, even some of the stock arrangements that were issued uh, of uh, big band... um, uh, hits that uh, needed to be published by the stock uh, companies. Uh, I believe he did the arrangement of the Sea Jam Blues, which was a kind of an interesting arrangement in and of itself. Uh, of course, that was a Duke Ellington tune that didn't have a whole lot of interest going for it, but he, uh, Spud, put in all sorts of transitions and uh, key changes that never went anywhere because, after all, it was called the Sea Jam Blues, so it was all in C, but there were numerous uh, false transitions and false key changes in there, which was kind of clever. So Spud Murphy, as I said, ended up out on the West Coast uh, in the late 30s, or in the mid-30s, towards the late 30s. He came back periodically to New York. We're going to hear a recording that he made in New York in 1939. But he made uh, his living, and I guess a fairly good one, uh, working for the movie studios. In fact, a bit of trivia, he uh, arranged the version of the old folk tune, Three Blind Mice, uh, for the introduction to many of the Three Stooges films, starting in about 1940 or so. Before that, they had uh, used Listen to the Mockingbird as their theme, but Three Blind Mice succeeded that, and they had two or three different arrangements. I believe the first one was by Spud Murphy. He didn't get credit on the uh, on screen for that. I guess it was just a, uh, a piece of hack work that he did for the studio. And I think he probably also did work for some of the other uh, uh, introductory themes of, of various Columbia short subjects as well. An interesting field of research. And Spud Murphy, by the way, lived until uh, he was almost 96 just shy of his 97th birthday. He died in 2005. Probably could attribute at least some of his long life to the fact that he didn't, in fact, tour a lot with the big bands. He uh, stayed in New York or Los Angeles writing arrangements and composing, and that uh, is definitely better for your health than traveling in buses and doing one-nighters for months and months on end. So for our last set, we're going to finish off the uh, date from April 21st of 1938 for DECA that we ended up the last set with. We're going to hear three tunes by that same band. Ecstasy, Dancing with a Debutante, and a very old tune called My Little Girl. And on this arrangement, he manages to sound kind of like an early Bob Crosby recording. I'm not sure he was going for that, but this six-tune uh, recording session really demonstrates a, a great variety of styles, which is what leads me to say it might have been a demo for something else. So we're going to hear those three tunes. Then we're going to end up with the one and only tune I've been able to find from December 4th of 1939. One of four tunes Spud Murphy recorded with his orchestra for Bluebird, the Victor subsidiary. It's called Pine Top Breakaway. And um, in this band, there really aren't 
any uh, particularly well-known uh, players. Uh, they're all uh, New York studio guys, I guess, or it might have been a, 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 a an outside-of-New-York territory band that Murphy just took over for this recording date. I really don't know the history on that. But at any rate, four tunes by Spud Murphy and his orchestra. Ecstasy, Dancing with a Debutante, My Little Girl, and Pine Top Breakaway. Thank you. 
So that shows a pretty wide range of stylistic influences there. The Spud Murphy Orchestra from 1938 and 1939. We started out with Ecstasy, a kind of a, an atmospheric uh, ballad type of performance. Some very nice Nate Kazabier and some very fine clarinet, presumably by the leader. Um, we heard Dancing with a Debutante, a kind of a riff bluesy tune. Uh, had a tenor sax solo in there, and on the next tune, My Little Girl, the more retro tune. Uh, tenor sax, I believe, by Bill Covey, uh, and Chuck Edwards on piano. Trombone was by Joe Harris. And then the last tune, Pine Top Breakaway, kind of a pastiche of a lot of different uh, styles there. The title Pine Top would suggest big boogie woogie, although there wasn't a lot of boogie woogie in there. It was a bluesy performance. And again, no well-known players in that whole band. Kind of interesting. I don't know who to attribute the solos to, to be honest with you. Uh, Spud Murphy was in there directing, although he's not even credited in the discography for playing. So who knows? At any rate, that was Pine Top Breakaway from December 4th of 1939. A good professional swing performance done in New York. So, hope you've enjoyed this program. A, uh, fellow who was pretty well known to musicians and bands in the swing era and whose reputation continues uh, through the many arrangements that are still circulating through big bands, stock arrangements and, and transcriptions of some of the other things that he's done. Uh, he also, Spud Murphy did, in the 1950s became quite an educator. As I mentioned, he put out that, uh, that uh, how-to arranging course and uh, developed his own system, which uh, formed the basis of a, uh, a method of arranging that was taught in several West Coast colleges. He did some interesting recordings in the 50s based on uh, his arranging uh, ideas and so forth that would probably uh, be better termed third stream jazz. Someday we may play those as well. We'll see. Anyway, Spud Murphy, long life, lived to almost 97 and uh, was interviewed frequently at different times, so we have a lot of information about him, thankfully. So, you've been listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Hope you're interested in possibly sponsoring us at some point. Love to have more members of the family. You can check us out on our home on anchor.fm and uh, any of the fine platforms that carry The Jazz Focus, Spotify or Apple or what have you. Quite a few other ones as well. Uh, do check us out on social media. My band name is The Wolverine Jazz Band, wolverinejazzband.net and Wolverine Jazz Band on Facebook and Instagram. Love to hear from you and lots of programs coming up and hope you make a habit of visiting us or taking us with you wherever you go. So, I'll see you on the other side.